0: Good afternoon, everyone. I am Tim Phillips, president of Americans for Prosperity. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We have a very important conversation on some crucial issues. One of the biggest is this Biden administration, $1.9 trillion spending boondoggle that they're pushing uh, out of Washington DC that we're opposing with everything we've got that Americans for Prosperity. We're gonna be talking about that important issue and so much more with our special guest and introduce him is our Pennsylvania Americans for Prosperity State Director. Ashley, go right ahead.
1: Tim, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Congressman Keller. It is a privilege to be with everyone today. I am coming to you from Pittsburgh. We are having the uh, the big thaw outside, so we're we're finally seeing some temperatures that are a little bit more palatable, and I, we hope wherever wherever you're coming to us from, that you are all enjoying a bit a bit of better weather as well. Um, but it is a privilege to have Congressman Keller with us. He served our Commonwealth in the State House for I believe it was four terms, and is now in his first full term in Washington D.C. Uh, his district, the 12th congressional district, kind of covers from that central northern uh tier of the commonwealth on the new york border all the way down to harrisburg so covers a whole lot of ground and it is a pleasure to have him with us i'm going to give him the floor in just a moment but you know i think it goes without saying the commonwealth that is home to that infamous groundhog uh in from from punks uh makes this conversation so so much more relevant right because Tim, it was last March that we started talking about federal bailouts. And throughout 2020, I believe there were five different pieces of legislation that allocated and appropriated upwards of $4 trillion in COVID spending. And so here we are, it is like Groundhog Day all over again, but we're in, we've turned the calendar, we're in a new year, yet we're still talking about the same thing, about state bailouts. And so, uh, Congressman, we would just like to hear what you are hearing in Washington. We know the process with this legislation is moving fast and furious, maybe a vote is expected expected. expected here later this week or over the weekend, but want to hear what you're hearing and some of your impressions about what is incorporated in this legislation.
2: Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Ashley. I really appreciate the opportunity to be with everybody here with Americans for Prosperity. I just really appreciate the great work that you do on behalf of all of us, so so thank you for that. and it is important to talk about what's happening in, in Washington and Congress uh, regarding the latest uh, discussion on stimulus. Um, the, the point is, and, and I think you mentioned it, Ashley, uh, a vote expected within the next week. We may, we may be in over the weekend, which I'm okay working the weekend. Many of the people that we work for, uh, you know, they work very long days, they work the weekend. Uh, you know, So I don't mind working, what I wish we were doing would be something that would be more productive and more transparent and more accountable uh, to the American people. Uh, we are talking about an, almost another $2 trillion. And uh, as was mentioned, we, we have almost, we have about 4 trillion that's already been appropriated in the 2020 calendar year. Almost 1 trillion of that, which has not been yet spent. Uh, so there is a great deal of money that was designed uh, to help us through this pandemic, we're certainly at a different point today than we were uh, a year ago. So there were some things that we had to do we did to help out and, and, and get uh, working families, small businesses, and get Americans through the pandemic, but we're certainly in another spot. And the bill that we're talking about right now contains much more than coronavirus uh, relief. Uh, it contains minimum wage uh, proposals. Uh, it, you know, it, it's actually, there's some things being tacked on for, 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 for uh, arts and humanities. Uh, a lot of things that are not designed to get us through COVID-19, uh, and quite frankly, we should be looking at the money that is already available and what we're doing uh, to see that that's been spent appropriately and not used, quite frankly like uh, like Governor Wolf did, um, you know, uh, just in Lebanon County last year because they they wouldn't uh, um, or or had a different idea on how they should govern the county that they're that that, uh, the people they represent than what the governor was. So he he used that money as a political weapon. So uh, there's a lot of things happening. In fact, we had the the committee markup, which is in, in, in Washington, D.C. is that's our process for um amending legislation as it comes through the committee and it was important because i I sit on two committees um one is education and labor uh and this year i've been named the ranking member of the subcommittee on workforce protections for that committee but the other committee i also sit on is is oversight and reform and if we're really concerned about the money being deployed appropriately the oversight committee should be taking a look at what's happening and what we need to do to make the, to make this happen. And, and, and the one amendment I had in that committee, uh, there's $350 billion in this bill for state and local governments. And our point with this is we should not be billing out uh, poorly run states, uh, decisions that have nothing to do with COVID, uh, you know, other, other things in the bill, but th- the money going to state and local governments uh, my amendment would have said it doesn't go if it's designed to go to a local government, it doesn't pass through the state. It goes directly from the U.S. Treasury to that to that uh, local government of where it's intended to go. So that it doesn't get used as as did happen with Lebanon County here in, in Pennsylvania. It, it's amazing. The chairwoman of the, the Oversight Committee uh, noted that she thought that was a good idea. But the Treasury uh, hasn't figured out how to get money from the Treasury to some of these small local governments, and it's just too hard. And I had to remind her that in 1969, the United States landed a man on the moon and returned him safely to earth. I think that in in, in 2021, we can get money from the U.S. Treasury directly to a a political subdivision located in the United States of America.
0: No, that's right. That's a great point. Uh, Congressman, you, you made a really another important point. So much of this legislation is not in any way a response to the pandemic. Uh, It's this extraneous spending, the bailout big spending states and cities that you just mentioned. But I want to zero in, if we could, for just a moment on that minimum wage increase at the federal level. Uh, First, the idea that Washington, D.C. knows what's best for Lebanon County, Pennsylvania, or for Sioux uh, Sioux Falls, or for you know, for for anywhere across this huge country of ours is is just a a terribly arrogant top down approach from Washington. But but the second thing about that minimum wage increase, it'll it'll destroy jobs for the very folks that you know need it the most, right? Folks at the margins trying to get that first rung up the ladder of the American dream. Can you can you talk about why? this federal minimum wage increase that's stuffed into this bill is, is also such a bad idea.
2: I, the first question that I always asked and, and, and being that before I got elected to office, I was in private industry, okay? So there's certain things that you look at in, in, in private industry. First thing is, what do you hope to accomplish by this policy? And I think that's the first question that needs to be answered by the people that are advocating for a for $15 an hour minimum wage. And the answer I think they will give you, and at least the answer I've heard is, well, we need to be able to increase the buying power of the people on the lower end of the wage scale so they have more money and and so on. Uh, The other part of the equation they they fail to remember is that as you increase that, what's going to happen is the cost of goods and services are going to increase. Therefore, at the end of the day, when everything equalizes, the people you're trying to help will have no more buying power, yet the individuals that are just above wherever you place that wage or our senior citizens, people on fixed incomes, are going to see everything increase. They're not going to see that kind of increase and it's going to put them that much closer to a government program and and really put them into an area where uh, they're not going to be able to afford the things they need to be able to have. So I, I just look at the whole policy when you look at this and thinking that, that, that this isn't something that we really need to. And think about think about the minimum wage and let, let's talk a little bit about the policy on this. Um, and, and Ashley, you're probably familiar with the statewide average weekly wage in Pennsylvania. And isn't that what they use a lot of the public sector unions to base the increases in their contracts on the statewide average weekly wage? Well, if you look at that, increasing the minimum wage is going to increase the statewide average weekly wage. Therefore, when union contracts come up for renewal, particularly particularly the the uh, public sector unions, uh, they're going to want more of an increase because they're they're the people they represent in in those collective bargaining agreements are going to need more money to be able to afford things. So, union wages are going to increase. Well, when union wages increase, union dues are generally a factor of how much the worker that's paying the dues earns. So the people at the top of the unions get more money in the form of union dues. To me, it just looks like a payback to the organized labor for outcomes in an election. I mean, that's the way that, that's the way it works. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm simply saying that's the mechanics of it. And when you look at this, what goal are you trying to accomplish and, and what are you doing uh, to get there? So. Uh, and, and the point I would, I would note is when you look at the inflation rate since the last time the minimum wage was increased, and you look at the increase in the average or statewide average weekly wage for all 50 states, the increase in wages in all 50 states outpaced, outpaced, the statewide average weekly wage increase in all 50 states outpaced the increase of inflation. So raises what you need to do and what we need to do is exactly what President Trump was doing. And that's creating an environment where, where people in our economy can invest their money, can run their businesses, employ more people, then you compete for that labor, and everybody's wage goes up. Because, and that truly benefits everybody. That is the capitalistic environment upon which our country was built. And, and, and a rising tide brings up all ships. So we should be looking at where, where businesses have to compete for labor and not compete with the government in the form of handing out more unemployment benefits than what somebody would make when they're going to work. The best stimulus is a job, and we need to make sure that people have jobs so they can get that uh, the check every pay period. And, and we don't have the government controlling when they're going to get a check you know, and how much that check is going to be. That check will be based upon the work they're doing. That'll be based upon the, the, their pay scale. They won't have to worry from the government when they're getting another stimulus check or when that's going to happen. That's the policies that we need to support because that truly helps every American. It helps our retired people too because when our businesses do well, their investments do well. And guess what? They, have, they, they would have that income then in a the form of their 401ks. And also, and I'll go to the public pension system. Those public pensions also own privately held companies, or excuse me, publicly traded companies. They own publicly traded companies. So uh, those pension systems do better too. So all the way around, we should be incentivizing pro-growth policies where people can get back to work safely, our kids can get back to school, and, and our economy can begin to take off again. That's what we should be incentivizing.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, on the incentive front, I I just have to ask you, because I think this is so pertinent and relevant when it comes to Harrisburg. You know, when we talk about Pennsylvania, we have a, a hard reality and a tough reality for the past several years that we've had to reconcile, right? And that's the fact that, you know, North American Moving Services Migration Report has had Pennsylvania in the top Five outbound migration states for several consecutive years now. I think this year we might have been uh, sixth instead of fifth because New York bumped us bumped us out. But still, nothing to be proud of. You know that that reality that we're losing that we're losing population, coupled with the fact that spending in this Commonwealth has tripled in the last fifty years is really troubling to a lot of folks who have had to saddle up at the kitchen table and rework their budgets and their spending this past year due to, you know, unemployment or underemployment or, you know, circumstances from COVID, um, you know, and and so I think what, what my question to you is, is what kind of message is being sent to the General Assembly in Harrisburg, which you are part of, right? If we simply incentivize doing nothing on the, Front of reforms, like for example, taxpayer protection act. That's a, that's an example of a reform that would finally provide guardrails for Harrisburg spending, and it would simply say, "Hey, if we're going to uh, if, if we're going to pass a budget, it has to have spending tied to both the rate of inflation and population growth." And so, if we did that, it would provide some sort of mechanism for a check on Harrisburg. But if we if we simply continue to just, you know, give DC dollars to our state capitals, when are things like Taxpayer Protection Act ever going to be um, to be considered and to be debated and to finally get on our ballot for for folks uh, you know, to to have a say on on constitutional amendments like this?
2: Uh, you bring up a, a, a good point, Ashley. And, and money coming from Washington D.C. is not free money simply because it comes out of Washington. Sooner or later, the money has to. We're going to have to look at how we repay the repay these dollars. And uh, certainly, going to, to to states and bailing them out for things that are that are pre-COVID with this with this relief bill, and you're looking at things that are pre-COVID. Certainly, doesn't get us anywhere close to what what you're talking about with the Taxpayer Protection Act at the state level. So um, we really need to take a look at what we're doing and this 350 or $360 billion that's that's going to state governments, I think is is really not getting us where we need to be because it's gonna be rewarding. And and quite frankly, most of that money is not gonna be coming to places like Pennsylvania. It's gonna be going to California and New York and Illinois more so than it's gonna be coming to Pennsylvania. And uh, that, to me, is a problem because Pennsylvanians are going to end up paying that back at the federal level. We're going to be the ones that are going to end up paying, working, not, a, not necessarily uh, me, uh, some, but my kids, my grandkids. And here's a point I make. Uh, Joe Biden is, is, uh, is 78 years old and Speaker Pelosi is, is 80. They're not paying this money back. It's our kids and our grandkids and it's time we start looking at it this way there there's 86 uh, I think there's like $86 billion in in this uh, package for, for multi employer pensions. I mean we, we really need to take a look at what we're spending what we're funding with this package and make sure that it gets done, I mean it's gone. it's going through reconciliation and and for what that means is a, a lot of the, the, the rules. Uh, in the filibuster in, in the Senate uh, are, are not in play on this, so they don't need to get to 60 votes to, to move it forward. Simple majority moves it forward, which makes it easier for this bill to get through without the normal regular order. Uh, it doesn't go through regular order in any of the House committees. Uh, this reconciliation gives, gives the, 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 the committees of jurisdiction in both the House and the Senate the ability to draft legislation and here's the important point. You go by the bird rule that was set up in the Senate, that this has to be revenue neutral over a 10 year period. Well, if it's not to make it revenue neutral, there's, there, there's items that can be cut. Now you can't cut social security, you can't cut Medicaid, but what they can cut is Medicare, veterans benefits and agriculture programs. So guess what? I think, I think the Democrats, President Biden, and Speaker Pelosi and Leader Schumer need to need to look at the American people and say, if we can't make this revenue neutral, whose programs are we cutting? I mean, the Republicans yeah. often no, get criticized for saying wanting, wanting to cut this or that and throw, and, you know, and, and 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 cut things to seniors. Well, what? How exactly does Joe Biden plan to pay for this and make it revenue neutral? Is it with agriculture programs? Is it with veterans programs? Is it with Is it with uh, Medicare?
0: Yeah, no, those are, we're breaking up just a bit there, Congressman Keller, but uh, we, I can tell you, this vote is coming up fast on this $1.9 trillion Biden-Pelosi bailout bill. We would urge you, if you haven't contacted your member of the House uh, and your two United States senators, to please do so, you can click the link, the I volunteer link here on Facebook to do it, uh, or you can go to our website if that's easier for you, americansforprosperity.org, uh, but make your voice heard. Even if you know how your member's gonna vote, it's still good for them to hear from you, to hear from folks back home about your concern about this big spending, about how it's not gonna be effective and actually helping with this pandemic recovery, and in fact, it'll hurt our nation. So uh, make your voice heard in these next few days before the vote uh, and and it can make a a significant difference. Uh, Congressman, one one question uh, before we go uh, that's unrelated to this legislation we've been discussing, but it's also so important. And that is a piece of legislation called the PRO Act, which a lot of folks are looking at and they're deeply concerned about what it will do. It'll, it'll have Washington, D.C. dramatically encroaching uh, into the rights of employees across the country, and uh, certainly it can harm some of the efforts in, in, uh, in, uh, to, to protect folks when it comes to deciding whether or not to join a union. Can you give us a sense of what is in that PRO Act for a moment and, and why it's a, a bad idea?
2: well as with many things uh, when when they sort of label a bill and they call it the pro act I mean it's sort of, sort of designed to sound nice and and, and like it's going to do great things protect it's called it stands for protecting the right to organize and uh, there's already many rights and protections that individuals have to, to either join a union if they so choose or organize a union and what it does it takes away the the uh, the First Amendment rights of people that don't want to join a union. I mean, we have a First Amendment right of of being able to assemble and, and who we want to associate with. And, and this would make it very difficult uh, if you didn't want to belong to a, a collective bargaining agency to not belong to a union, to not belong to that union, and it would certainly give those union organizers a huge benefit and leg up in forcing people to join into a union, um, even if they didn't want to. And I know we, we had a couple of years ago, we had the Janus decision where it said you didn't have to pay the fair share fees anymore. And uh, my wife having having worked uh, where there was a union and she was a member of the union, I guess she didn't have to, but she would have had to pay her, what they call her her fair share, uh, but she, pay, she paid the dues. And when that Janus decision came out, she was approached several times at, where, at her at her work area, not not just at the time clock at her work area, by the union leaders trying to force her to sign a letter saying saying she 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 thought that that was wrong. The point is, people should not be pressured into to, to joining or not joining a union. That should be a choice of the individual. This pro act certainly gives a leg up on on unions to be able to organize businesses to force people to join a union uh even if they choose not to and to me it's a it's it's a personal liberty kind of thing and i know a lot of times you think it's thing gets used well the union uh, you know if they get a wage increase it increases for everybody well here's the point the chamber of commerce also represents businesses they don't force people to join people decide whether or not they want to join that i think the same thing should be true for, for organized labor, but the, the PRO Act is, is really just a, a way to, uh, to increase union membership, because a lot of times the, 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 the unions have their political alignments, and although I see some of that changing uh, with the Biden administration, with the, uh, with the XL, uh, the Keystone XL pipeline, I think there's a lot of organized, yes. a lot of trade unions that are not happy uh, with the Biden administration and their decision to, to stop that. Uh, that important energy project. So uh, again, I would say stay tuned. One of the things I look at is, is, is the liberty of the individual uh, and whether or not you want to associate with a certain group, uh, you know, union membership should not be a condition of employment. Uh, and particularly, I'll say this, particularly when you're talking about public sector jobs where you're employed by the government. So.
0: Yeah, well said. Ashley, I know we're coming up on the top of the hour and we want to be respectful of the congressman's time. Do you want to close us out with a final question and then the congressman can uh, say goodbye to everyone from there? Ashley, go ahead.
1: No, absolutely, Tim, thanks so much. You know, it was May 1st of 2020 gosh, almost a year ago, that our team held a digital congressional district crawl where we visited all 20 congressional offices across the Commonwealth. Uh, throughout the day, we're just encouraging people to, hey, send the reject bailouts letter to Congressman Keller, encourage him to stay strong in his opposition to more DC spending. Uh, we've had the same conversation several times throughout the duration of 2020, and then And just this past Friday here in Pennsylvania, we did another district uh, congressional office lobby day. It was virtual, of course, but we kind of stood outside in the frigid cold outside each of our offices and encouraged every half hour folks to make their voice heard, shore up the support of folks who are standing so strong against this legislation and then hold hold accountable the, the the men and women in our delegation that are are supporting more spending and so we just want to tell everyone one last time rejectbailouts.com sign that letter share it there's a shareable button on the bottom and additionally as you are uh, as you are on your social media channels utilize our hashtag reject bailouts. So that we can keep the buzz going this week. This legislation is going to kind of make its way through the budget committee and then the rules committee and it'll be reported out and go to the full House floor. And so, Congressman, I want to give you the last word on just if there's any, any one thing folks can maybe urge members who are on the fence about this and on about this vote, you know, anything they should say or, or ask of their member. But I just wanna thank you for your ardent opposition Ardent opposition to this legislation. You know we are never going to incentivize Harrisburg, for example, to allocate more for our rainy day fund or pass substantive, meaningful reforms like the Taxpayer Protection Act, if they can just turn to Washington and expect some of those dollars to flow uh, to flow across to to Harrisburg. And so, thank you for realigning some of those incentives by not continuing to dole out dollars uh to states that really haven't 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 earned that and and don't need it but need to make some of the hard decisions so many of our activists have had to over the past year so we just thank you i'm going to give you the last word but um everyone thanks for watching Rejectbailouts.com. we look forward to seeing a whole big influx of of signatures after after this facebook ends congressman floor is yours
2: Thank you, Ashley, and, and thank you, Tim, and everybody joining uh, the meeting today. Uh, the thing I'm reminded of when I, when I look at how things have, have progressed uh, the p- past year and, and several years before that, it is a saying, and I think it goes all the way back to probably, I think it's Thomas Jefferson, but a government that's big enough to give you everything you need is also big enough to take everything you have. And uh, while sometimes it's appropriate Uh, And for the government to do things. There's certain things for which government's responsible. There's things for for which government is not. Um, But at the end of the day, uh, we need to take a look at this bill and we need to take things. If anything needs to happen, we should take a look at the money that's already been appropriated. Make sure it's been spent the way it was designed to be spent. There's still a trillion dollars of the money that was, uh, was appropriated last year. Before we spend one dime more, we should be, Asking for the accountability of that, that money, because it is not the money of the people in Washington. And you know, people can't say, well, well you, gee, thank you for, for doing this. It's the American people that are that are doing this. It's the American people that will fund these bailouts. It's, it's not anybody in Washington, DC, that's funding it. So I, exactly. I would just I would just say, hey, look, you know, re- remind the people that are elected to serve you. And that's what I'm elected to serve the people of PA-12. Remind them that it's not them that are bailing anything out. It's the American people that are bailing bailing out the, the, the different things. Help, and, and sometimes that's helping your neighbor. But then let's have that discussion about helping your neighbor and not doing all these other things that are unrelated to helping your neighbor. So I guess that would be, that would be my word. It, it, it is, it is the, the people's money. It's the people's government. And I think that the, the, the people that are elected to serve uh, not everybody, but there's a certain amount of them that need to be
0: reminded of, of who works for whom. Well said. Con- Congressman Keller, Ashley, I'm Tim Phillips. Thank you guys for joining us today. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye, everyone.
2: Thank you. Appreciate it.